Lord, we pray for your grace this morning as we open up your word, that you would teach us, that you would apply your word to our hearts and to our minds, and you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, this is a better uh, teaching. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 today. If you want to open up, I very rarely do this where we go like line by line, um, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through the end. I'm just going to kind of recapitulate uh, verses 1 through 16 and make a few notes. But, uh, but this is a good chapter that we can actually just almost go line by line and, and glean a lot from it. And so this is actually a better teaching for the 930 since, in my opinion, the 930 is much more geared towards teaching and the, 9, and the 1030 for preaching. And so there's a, there's a difference there in approach and, and how you communicate and what the goal is. <clears throat> so if you open up to Acts chapter 20, we're, uh, we'll get started. And so as we've been going through the book of Acts, we are looking at the pattern of the early church and how Jesus told them that I will build my church and the gates of, of hell will not prevail against it. And that how in Acts uh, chapter 1 verse 8, that the disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and they will be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so I usually have a... I didn't give you guys an outline uh, today, maybe, unless... I had one like three weeks ago, but uh, I didn't have one for this morning. But you can look at Exodus 18, 13 through 23, where um, father or uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, is is commending and admonishing Moses to not, with all the people bringing their burdens to him, for him to get some of that burden lifted off his shoulders, and he appoints 70 elders who are going to be chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Uh, He says, if you do this, in Exodus 18, 23, if you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. And so, we're looking at today is, is Paul was gathering the Ephesian elders, and he was, I don't want to say he was having a pastor's conference, but you can, if it was a healthier context with, without persecution, you could say it was a pastor's conference. Uh, but Paul, in, in these verses, knew that he wouldn't see them again. He wanted to join. He didn't go to Ephesus. He called the Ephesian elders to come to him uh, because he was traveling close by, and he wanted to admonish them one last time, knowing that he would never see them again. And so his words are kind of important there, that the Holy Spirit anoints. But in the previous section on, in chapter 20, I just want to note that Paul's traveling around. He's still doing his missionary journeys where he's planting churches. He's, his team is, is seemingly growing, or at least we're getting more, a better idea of how many people he has. And he's probably traveling with about 10 to 20 people at this point. Uh, and he gets to... Uh, 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 maybe he's in Greece, but uh, does everybody know the name Eutychus, what he's famous for? You could cheat and look in your Bibles. He's the one where Paul gathers the church. They're gathering on, a, on the Lord's Day on a Sunday. The sermon goes over a little bit till about, till about midnight. And, and Eutychus, they're apparently meeting in an upper room because I don't think he died falling out of a first floor, first story window. Uh, could be. I don't think it says how many stories, but... Um, but Eutychus falls out of the window and dies, and, and Paul, by the Holy Spirit, brings him back to life. 
So just a few notes. I could have done a whole sermon or a whole teaching on falling asleep in church. I could have. I decided to skip it for your sake. But I do want to make, I do want to make a couple points, uh, quick bullet points. Don't sleep in church and you won't die. You'll have no chance to fall out of a window and die if you're not sleeping in church. Uh, um, and also, if you are sleeping, everyone behind you sees you. <laughs> That's pretty, everyone in front of you looking this way from the pulpit sees you too. Uh, and, 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 but also, just because some people are falling asleep or some of the crowd is falling asleep doesn't mean that your message isn't anointed or effective. So oftentimes, we, uh, it's, we, see, we see who's sleeping from, from the pulpit. It's easy to see, point them out. And uh, it doesn't mean your message isn't effective. Or anointing. Paul's was very. And so the main point of our passages that we're actually going to look at today is uh, first for the elders that they have a, a pattern to follow. There's a very specific pattern that the elders have to follow, or those. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't limit that just to the uh, to the elders. He's Paul's directing this to the elders, but there's a, a pattern for leadership in the church that they have to follow. And the main point for the congregation is is that you are to respect and esteem your elders that are among you. And so we're going to be going line by line, uh, and we'll start in verse 17, 17 and 18. So if you have your Bibles ready, it'll be a lot easier. And so Paul actually starts by, in, in his, his admonishment and commendation to the Ephesian elders, by saying in verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time uh, from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And he's saying this is a public ministry. You know, he didn't like just meet with them on Sundays. He wasn't just, you know, here and there. This was like, you knew my whole entire life. You knew that I was a tent maker. You knew how I traveled. You knew how I worshiped. You knew what we did. His whole life was a public ministry. And so if you wanted to separate just briefly or practically in your minds in a, a church organization in a body of Christ, we usually have a board of elders, or there's multiple elders, but there's usually someone who, or, and then that doesn't mean every elder is a public pastor, or teaching from the pulpit, uh, or doing public teaching, but usually the, the minister or the pastors who are, are teaching from the pulpit is a little bit more public ministry, and so you get flack, or you could get flack publicly, because you're speaking publicly. But your life is being examined as an elder, as a leader. And so that's important that Paul's laying this foundation. And so you can't really underestimate this as a leader, and we can't really underestimate the power of this as a, as a congregation. So the idea, <clears throat> excuse me, that leaders, that elders are supposed to be those who you're supposed to imitate. You're supposed to, they're supposed to be a public example of what you're supposed to imitate in, in a lot of ways. And, and we're commended in that in the scriptures like multiple times. Hebrews 13, 7, 7, consider the outcome of their way of life. That's the leaders who spoke the word of life to you and imitate their faith. Consider their outcome if it's a public ministry and uh, consider their outcome. Consider your elders, consider your leaders and What's the outcome? Well, consider it. You can't say that for everybody. Uh, I can't say every elder throughout church history has had a favorable outcome. It depends on their life. Uh, and imitate their faith, right? First Timothy 4.2. Paul's writing to Timothy as the head elder of a church, and he says, Set the believers an example in speech, conduct, 
faith, love, and purity. So if you're like, what do I imitate? What do I do? Well, imitate their speech, their conduct, their faith, their love, and their purity. And uh, again, in 1 Peter 5.3, Peter is commending the elders, the shepherds of the church, to be an example to the flock, following Christ as the chief shepherd. Uh, and one more, everybody should know 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. And so you should be keeping a close eye on the elders, right? If, if they're like, hey, back off, why are you so close? Be like, well, I'm supposed to be watching you. I'm supposed to be keeping a close eye on you. What's your problem? Uh, they are, it is a very much a public ministry, whether you like it or they like it or not. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be um, a form of learning by example. Uh, for, I think, particularly a couple reasons is, number one, we've only got like 52 Sundays a year, and if we had two 45-minute slots, that's only 104 teachings a year on the gospel and Christian living, on godliness and and what it means to be a Christian. And that's not a lot. And so maybe if we did like weekend seminars and if we did like small discipleship groups, all those things add up. But that I don't really think that compares to the power of knowing someone's life and, and imitating it. Right? There's a few principles uh, in imitation. It's, it's, you know, our children learn by imitation first and by knowledge second. Right? Uh, in a lot of ways. And so what you want to do is imitate the principle and not the method, meaning uh, like with Bible reading, you should be able to look at a, a pastor or an elder and you can ask them about what their Bible reading plan is, but that doesn't mean you have to wake up at 7 a.m. and read between 7.30 and 7, uh, you know, and 8 o'clock and then again. You don't have to do the exact same thing methodically, methodically, but you do have to follow a principle of uh, well, they take Bible reading very seriously, and they, they get up in the morning, and you might want to try that, but you don't have to do it methodically in, in every step. Uh, and understand in the principles of imitation that all men are fallen and discern how to sift the chaff from the wheat. And so what we don't have in this church is a lot of elders who are old. <laughs> and so... That only uh, that is a good thing, but that does create problems because I could give you advice on certain things, uh, let's just say child rearing, but you could only have a certain amount of my child's life to look at because they're younger. But if someone who is older, uh, you could look at how their children turned out if they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. And so that's uh, just something to take with a, a grain of salt is when you... You have to discern and, and sift the chaff from the wheat when you're imitating because uh, we're fallen men. And you have to look at their outcome and consider their way of life and, and imitate it appropriately. And so uh, one of the things that, that Paul specifically says in the next verse is, he did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public from house to house. And so an elder being in a, a public teaching ministry is... The main ministry of elders is teaching and ruling, and that's, they all teach, they all rule, and that doesn't mean they all get up here and teach, it does mean that they all have some kind of teaching ability. It's part of the, uh, 
qualifications in, in Titus 1 and, and 1 Timothy 3 that they have to be able to teach. And so the point of teaching, just so we have a, what we're trying to do in this Acts series is, is institute the vision of restoring the pattern, following the pattern, how we see uh, in the early church and, and implementing that is that Ephesians 4.11 says that all those pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, apostles, they were given to the church. To, so the saints will do the ministry. And so teaching ministries aren't um, to puff one up to show how much they learned. It it's, should be teaching so that you learn so that you can do something with it, whether it's teaching your family, whether it's teaching, uh, you know, starting a, a small group, like a teaching on prayer would be on, you know, teachings on prayer are good because then you know how to pray more accurately, and that should help you in your prayer life. And that should, if you wanted to start a prayer ministry or start a prayer group, um, you know, I'm not opposed to like praying like, uh, please help my Aunt Susan's cat who... Like, but, you know, just know the principles of prayer. <laughs> we don't get into that too much. Uh, I'm not opposed to praying for those things, but they're, uh, maybe they should come down the list a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> think about it. Uh, as Paul says, and I think Ephesians, let the mature think this way, and everyone doesn't think this way. The Lord will show you. <laughs> You'll figure it out. And so... So even in, even in what part, like half of, a, of an elder's job is to teach, that's not always from the pulpit. Um, what Paul says there is, is that he didn't restrain anything back from you from teaching to you in public and from house to house. And so I, I don't see, I don't know if Paul, when he planted churches, I'm sure he was the pastor, like publicly preaching until somebody else was. If he was the only guy, then I'm sure he was the guy. But... I don't know how long before he had somebody else do it. And it doesn't say in the text too much when he was planning churches how quickly he just had somebody else do it. And so, but he did speak publicly. He argued in the synagogues. He argued publicly with Jews. And he taught everybody, or he taught a large majority from house to house. And so think of that in small groups. Think of that as... uh, uh, like public debates. Think about that as, as evangelism, going out and street preaching. That's the kind of model we get for an elder. And so it's not just speaking from the pulpit. It's, it's, it's commending and encouraging and, and teaching from house to house, family to family. Right? That means that he would have uh, spent, as he's spending special time with the elders in this passage, he probably would have spent special time with the elders of the churches he was planning to get them ready because he didn't know if he was going to get persecuted and kicked out. You know, in Thessalonica, he only spent five weeks, and uh, that's a pretty quick church plan. So, um, so look at how Paul taught. So it would have been, it would have been very uncommon to only hear from, uh, from Paul or from pastors, elders on Sundays during this, the sermon. And so much of kind of what we think of a, a pastor or an elder is just like a low level of being unbiblical, where we uh, don't share our lives with them. Uh, they just you see them mostly on Sunday, and uh, but they were teaching throughout the week. They had small groups. They probably did public, de- you know, Paul did public debates, um, and and that teaching ministry is very broad, and so <clears throat> that's one reason why you usually send your 
pastors to seminary, uh, or to get some kind of formal teaching. It's also a good reason why you should ask your pastors or elders, what are they studying? Like, what are you reading? What do you, you know, just go down the line and be like, hey, what are you reading this week? What did you read? What has the Lord shown you in Scripture? Right? If you're supposed to imitate them uh, and, and they have a teaching ministry, well, what's the Lord filling them up with? Right? Don't wait till Sunday uh, to find out what they're, what they're going to preach on. Right? You can ask them. Um, ask them, oh, what are some good books? I'm, the Lord showed me this. What are some good books on this? Or what should I, where should I study this in the Scriptures? Right? Um, I recently had someone ask me about uh, developing leadership skills, and, and I could name a bunch of books, but the first thing I said was just read First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Those are Paul speaking to pastors, to a leader, and, and just let the Lord show you. Uh, and then read some good books on it, right? Um, try reading the books they read. Ask them what they're reading. Try reading those books. So let's go to verse 22. Paul says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. And so I'm looking specifically at that where he says, constrained by the Spirit. A pastor and the elders are supposed to have a vision from God, direction, mission, purpose, calling. A pastor should be someone who you can get behind what God is doing in them. So Paul's saying he's constrained by the Spirit. I have to go. Even I think it's, it's the next chapter, I believe. Yeah, it's the next chapter where uh, Agabus is a prophet, and they're like, hey, Paul, if, and, you know, she takes off her belt, or he, I don't know, uh, and binds his wrist and is like, you're going to go to Jerusalem like this. And he's it's like a fair warning, like, you're going to go to Jerusalem and get persecuted, and it's not going to be good, and you're probably going to die. And he's like, when's the ship leave? <laughs> right? Like, I got to go. Like, thanks for the prophecy, and that's from the Lord, but I'm not stopping. Like, he is totally constrained by the Spirit. So I think the Lord gives that to uh Heads of households as they lead their household to, to pastors and elders as they lead their church and to government officials as they lead their societies. Um, now, Pharaoh was constrained by the spirit to harden his heart, so don't, uh, don't get too much on me on the spirit being in the government officials at the current state that we're in. But surely there are some. So Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Blessed is, the, is he who keeps the law. And so you really don't want a limp-wristed pastor, elder, who doesn't have any direction. They're supposed to have direction. Ask them where the church is going. What are we doing next? Right? The, uh, uh, the elders should be constrained by the Spirit and led by the Spirit, right? We should have a, a di- division, or division, a direction. There shouldn't be division. Uh, uh, there should be a direction. They should be constrained by the Spirit. So verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And so I just want to bring out the principle uh, after that, that strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so this is where... Um, if you have a public ministry, if the elders of the church are leading in a direction or a pastor has a more public ministry, they are usually the ones that, from the public, get hit the most. Uh, I don't know. I was, um, I get an email. It's not Voice of the Martyrs. It's a separate email from, that gives a little summary of persecuted Christians and 
the one just like stuck in my mind, and this was a couple years ago, where it was uh, north of Hyderabad, so uh, most of our people in India live in Bangal Bangalore, and then Hyderabad is about like eight hours north by train, um, and then it was a few more hours north of that, and there was a pastor in India who was getting persecuted by the Hindus, and they just really wanted the pastor, I guess, and where they knew the principle of strike the sheep, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And I remember them, the article explaining that how for over an hour they were trying to break through to get to the pastor, but the congregants were locking arms so they couldn't harm or kill the pastor while they shouted and, and screamed and, and tried to violently break through. And the uh, members of the church just like locked arms and I'm sure they got hurt. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that they didn't. And, uh, and so usually in a public ministry, the person that's public gets the most flack. We luckily don't live in, a, uh, in that type of persecution, but when, when churches, when pastors decide to keep their churches open for COVID, it was those pastors who got flack. It wasn't the congregants, right? And so just keep that in mind. And so with that, Paul gives instructions next. We're going to start in verse 28. Paul gives instructions to the elders as kind of his last words um, as, as they're shepherding the sheep. And so verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so 1 Timothy 4.16 says the same thing. Essentially, keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this, and so by, and by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so a pastor or an elder is supposed to pay careful attention to himself first. That's, that's why we have, that's part of the reason why in Scripture, the qualifications for an elder, all of them except for the ability to teach, have to do with character. And so when he's saying keep careful watch on yourself, keep careful watch on your character, and then he does tell Timothy to keep close watch on his teaching because uh, that's important. And so when you look at the qualifications, the only one that takes a skill is teaching, and that can be refined, and that could get better, better over time. But everything else has to do with character, right? Being hospitable, not drunken, not given to fits of anger, things like that. And so uh, because how you are... Internally, you know, we talk about uh, three types of discipleship, and, and one of those is, uh, is, is how our spirit kind of transpires. Like, we disciple you, our, our passions get transpired, what, like how we teach from the pulpit, not just what we say, but how we say it and, and what the Lord has put into our spirits. We, we communicate because we're spiritual beings. And, uh, and so it wouldn't be a shock if there was a, a pastor or an elder who was um, lived like a totally double life, and this happens in churches, and then like they're wondering why their congregants are living double lives. And it's not because of anything they said in the pulpit, uh, it's because that's who they are, right? That's how they discipled them, because they didn't keep a close watch on themselves. And so they're first supposed to pay attention to themselves, and then pay very close attention to the flock, right? Uh, we can't really afford, 
as, as the elders and pastors of the church can't afford to not be prudent and looking forward and say, well, this is where our congregation is at, and not, having, not saying they should have a vision of where we're going, but saying, oh, these are warning signs of what could happen. This is where I see could be trouble. Right? They are supposed to pay very close attention. Right? Verses 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So this was a very particular problem or exaggerated problem in the first three centuries of the church. There was heresy on top of heresy on top of heresy coming into the church. Um, and the Lord using that to, to purify the doctrines of, of the church and, and his sovereignty. But Paul warns about the inward purity of doctrine and teaching that we have to have as a church. It's, you have to be careful, close, close attention to that, because there will be people who come in with weird ideas. And that doesn't mean that we should be like, all right, who's it going to be? Is it Sydney this week? Is it, is it the Gospel of Milford? Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> right? It's not, we're not supposed to be picking and saying, who's it going to be next week? And, uh, and, but, uh, but we're supposed to pay careful attention because it's very easy to slip away doctrinally. It's very easy to slip down a path where you get into a works-based religion. It's very easy to fall away from your first love. It really is. If, you know, once, um, you know, I was blessed in a way to come to Christ when I was like 25, 26, you know, and that's a little bit different from coming to Christ and being in, inside and being raised in a solid Christian home, where I got to see, like, after about, like, three years, I was like, man, do I even, like, like, where's my love gone? Like, you know, because uh, you have to pay close attention. And, you know, just in the life of, of our church, we've had people who have left us to join cults. And thank God that they didn't bring anybody with them, <laughs> right? That's why the elders are supposed to pay careful attention and watch over the flock. And no matter how much we had admonished them and, and sat them down and tried to give them biblical teaching, they still left for a cult. And so... It's bound to happen. It's not going to be, it wasn't the first time, and it's not going to be the last time. Right? It doesn't mean that if we pay careful attention, people aren't going to slip into strange ideas, and people aren't going to fall away from the Lord, but it, it better not be because the elders and pastors weren't watching over us and let it slip through the cracks. That's, uh, it had better be with, with pleading and admonishing and, and love, Right? And so it's bound to happen. It's going to happen again. Uh, we're, we're kind of warned repeatedly throughout Scripture that there are people who, who come in with strange heresies um, or who drift into it, right? So verse 31, he says, Therefore be alert, remembering, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears. And that's what I'm talking about. Is like what's, what's what we should be... Uh, I think oftentimes, just as a, as a congregant, we put up like barriers of like, man, I, I don't want to be admonished anymore. I got it. Just stop, stop talking. Uh, leave me alone. But that's what Paul was doing with these, uh, with, in Ephesus. For three years, he was pleading with them night and day like, to, to be careful, to watch out for this, and, and to admonish them in Christ. Right? Look at the love and compassion that, that Paul has for the flock. Uh, he wasn't domineering, but he was, he was pleading with tears. 
Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the heart of the, uh, the pastorate or the, or the elders that all we're doing is bearing the word of God in, to you. We're just bringing it to you. We're not bringing any, shouldn't be bringing too many new things. Um, it's, it's the word of his grace that is able to build you up. It's the word of God who will enable you to do that. That's why uh, I'm, I'm, I, I stand firm that 930s are just teachings. 930s are, are good for teachings. And the 1030 as a preaching is able to build you up. You take the preaching. You receive the grace of the Lord. We culminate in communion. We, we get a charge and a benediction to go in grace. And then we love each other, have a meal, and go out. Right? Uh, because it's the word of God. We've heard the word. We've heard what God could do. We've heard his promises. We've, we've had a, 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 a time of fellowshipping with Jesus Christ in his word. And so that's all an elder is doing. That's all as heads of your household as you teach your kids or you teach or you wash your wife in the word. You're just bringing the word to bear in their lives. You're just telling them what the scripture said, what God has already said. Right? That's the heart of it. It's able to build you up because that's how the Lord moves. And so we don't need uh, new humanistic ways. We need the scriptures, right? Other, I enjoy other Christian teachings. I listen to podcasts on various Christian topics, and I, uh, uh, I listen to audiobooks now, and, I'm, and I read books, and I take classes, but that doesn't compare to just sitting down, being with God in his word, right? Verse 33 to 35, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul here sets a... Um, a principle, but uh, where some churches follow where all their pastors are bivocational and they have full-time jobs and they pastor part-time, per se. That's what Paul did. He didn't take any money from any of the churches, uh, or at least this one. I'm sorry. He did. I think he received some money at some points, but for the most part, he worked and provided for himself. He was very independent. He was very, uh, he didn't want a charge that, for people to say that he was just doing it about the money. That he was just, uh, which would, you'd kind of have to think that if someone said that's pretty silly because uh, how much money would he have gotten? Probably not a lot. And, and he was getting persecuted everywhere he went. <laughs> and so uh, that's probably not worth the money. But, but he sets that where he, the principle was what the Lord said, it's better, it's better and more blessed to give than to receive. And so in the elders, are in a position where they are mostly, if you look at any leadership, really any leadership, talking about from the household to the church to uh, you know any administration in a school or a business, they are usually giving more than they are receiving. And so uh, Paul surely doesn't want any accusations against him for on the on the money issues. But he's saying in the present that I am for three years pouring myself into you to build you up. 
and he's constantly giving himself away, right? And he's setting that precedent for, for leaders of churches, for elders, for pastors to give themselves away, that they're uh, uh, mostly taking out of their own needs, right? And, you know, it's, uh, we have, the elders have meetings, the leadership teams have meetings, they meet with people, they take time away from their families, uh, you know, there's a lot of it is a time thing, um, and, and so you find yourself in, in any type of leadership giving yourself away way more than you're usually receiving. And usually if you're receiving more back, it's because the people are so generous than it is that you have worked the system so well. And so, in the last verse, verse 36, uh, and we had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And so, as Paul is, is closing this, uh, this meeting this, with the Ephesian elders, he just, think about his humility and how he's just kneeling down and, and praying with them, asking God, we don't get his prayer, but asking the Lord for, for grace and, and probably blessing the Ephesian elders in this. And so in all these things, uh, we get examples in Paul's leading by example of, of and, and teaching the elders of a church and, and, and being an elder. And so uh, obviously what we said in First Peter is that Christ is the chief shepherd of the church. He is our prime example. The elders are setting their example after our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, but all these things, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And so, for the congregants, we're, we're supposed to esteem the elders highly, esteem their work and, and show them respect, even when they're not respectable, uh, I believe, which is bound to happen. <laughs> We're human. Or when you disagree. And, but this is the pattern that the Lord shows of how he's building communities that are going to stand the test of time, that are going to stand through persecution, that are going to stand through cultural shifts. As the Roman Empire is falling and the entire structure, the economy, the morality is falling, these communities that Paul's setting up and the other apostles are going to stand the test of time. And, and part of what he's saying is because of the leadership of the church and how they're leading and how the congregants are reacting and how they're staying unified through all that and how they're being taught and how they're leading, how they're following. And it's a whole system. And so we're supposed to pattern all of that. And so I encourage the elders to take this direction and lead well and teach well and for the congregants to uh, esteem them highly who work among you. Amen. Uh, we're going to take a minute real quick and pray for the poons. And who is the other one? Leah? Okay. Yeah, let's pray for them. Uh, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we come to you. We, we ask for your grace, your mercy, your um, hand of healing on, on Leah, who's, I think, uh, John took her to the emergency room. And so we pray that you would heal her, you would uh, restore fluids to her body, that you would work with the doctors to give them wisdom and knowledge, um, and that she would be fully recovered and quickly, Lord. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on her, uh, be with John to comfort her and, and to uh, speak through him to give her words of encouragement and, and comfort uh, and love. And, and Lord, we are just with the, 
the poons in spirit at the passing of Sam's mother, that you would be, you'd pour out your spirit on Sam and on Amber to speak words of refreshment, of, of encouraging, of the gospel of solace to Sam's dad and, and siblings, that uh, as in your word says that uh, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in us in our affliction so that we may comfort those in any affliction. And we pray that you would use this, Lord, for, for your glory. Death is uh, not a fun thing to, not an easy thing to, to see in your family. Lord, so pour out your spirit on them. Give them joy in the midst of sorrow. Uh, let them be a light. And we pray that you would comfort Sam's family in this time. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.